Hi, hello. As queer icon Cameron Esposito said in a recent episode of the show Query, Illuminati confirmed. Welcome to the after party. <laughs> really important part of the after party. Things that Anara says is what all gay ladies say. Did she so. welcome people to the after party on her show? She said, hey, hi, hello to Tignataro. That's how she opened the episode. And I dropped my phone. We have to sue. That's <laughs> the thing. We did some D&D today, y'all. Yeah, it was kind of like um, out of the frying pan into the second frying pan, into the saute pan. Into the much deeper, more filled with oil. Into the Dutch oven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> into the deep fryer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Eric, you told us there were seven labors. You did not tell us there were five additional epilogues. Eric, I'm so tired of laboring. I'm so tired of laboring. It's almost Welcome like to- we all have to labor under capitalism to like earn the basic <laughs> necessities uh, to survive. Welcome to Dungeons & Dragons, where you do stuff because I tell you to. Where is the game where it's just like we sit on a beach and we have to roll for drinks? Ooh. It's like a roulette of which drink you're going to get next. Yeah. It's not a question of whether you get a drink. Right. Because you will get it's a just drink. Which. It's just which. Sounds great. Or that... like in the morning, you're like, hmm, I have five paperbacks to choose from. Doodly, 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 doodly. Oh, there's the one I'm going to read today. Good. They're all I love, good. I love it when you roll and you make, that's the noise <laughs> that you make when you roll dice. I, I always was, have to cut it. I but... was picturing the Wheel of Fortune going around. <laughs> But no, really, where do these ideas come from? The T-Rexes with ice breath. Tell me everything. Okay, so this was still a skill challenge. You remember from Political Party. Basically, I had these five stages uh, that move through time and space that they all set up for you. Um, and I kept score in my little notebook here about how well they did or how innovative they were uh, while solving these problems. Also, I brought Greg in in uh, the second one for fun. Also for help. Because yeah, also for help. we weren't doing too good. So those first two that you tackled were uh, modified versions of challenges that you could have ran into in the Labyrinth of Dawnrise. As we were kind of dealing with the loss of Johnny, I was thinking about how Dungeons & Dragons, the game, could emphasize the fact that Johnny is gone and now we have a two-person adventuring party. And literally the game of Dungeons & Dragons challenge rating is dictated by the number of players going against a conflict or a certain monster. So when you look at, I don't know if anyone has their monster manual handy. These are nerds, they may. You probably do. Uh, if you take a look at any, uh, any monster, you see the CR, the challenge rating. And that is like the, a party of four adventurers should go up against this monster at this level and sustain like medium damage, but no one should die. But everything about monsters and conflicts are then dictated by the number and level and level and skill and party composition. Or like in Pokemon, the trainers around you and the gym leaders level up as you level up. And you have to level up before you can beat them. Right. That was uh, always the hardest part for me when I was putting monsters together. It was so complicated that I was just like... I don't know. I'll just pick this one and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> and it's, everyone a, dies. it's very dictated by the whims of chance. And you should use something called a Cobalt Fight Club, KFC, which is super <laughs> helpful. It uses I like, love al- D&D. It uses, like algorithms. Bucket of kobolds. 
<laughs> Welcome to Cobalt. The first role is don't fight the Cobalt. Eleven secret spices. So you, they use a bunch of algorithms dictated by the experience that you can get to see which is uh, might be difficult or too difficult or too easy for your party, depending on how many people you have. That is the thing that we don't do, actually, that is on the character sheet and a lot of people do is experience points. That's how you sort of are supposed to level up. Well, I mean, there's a... Okay, we're gonna we're taking a hard left into different I things. I actually have no idea what experience points do in D&D. It's like in Pokemon Go. I don't use Stardust because I don't fight any battles. I just collect my pokes. Yeah. Classic Amanda. The pokes. <laughs> well, in theory, if you have like a dungeon crawling game, right. you can use experience points. Like in Pokemon, you have yeah. a certain number right. and then you level up. I use story-based leveling. I think a lot of other podcasts use story-based leveling so that you can make it episodic or as you know, I do by arc, you guys level up accordingly. Which but, I just think is easier for podcasting. But the point is, what I was trying to say, depending on how many people you have, makes it easier or harder to fight or deal with one trap. Right. So I, by literally playing the game, the game mechanics will emphasize the fact that it is just two of you. And there is a noticeable loss because of the way the Dungeons & Dragons work. And I really love that. Yeah, yeah the challenges that lie ahead of us are not going to scale back their ease just because our party has suffered a, a real and tangible loss. And I think it's really moving, even though it makes our lives harder, that we're going to have to be more creative, ask for help, negotiate when we would normally fight, or figure out ways to make up for that void. Yeah, and uh, that ice breath would have killed Tracy had I not been raging. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. So if we're three and four, I kind of wanted to lean into the fantasy trope of the movement of time and space. Uh, Zaywol is very much that sort of trickster that you see pop up in a lot of... Wait, before we go on to three and four. Okay. In the Scarecrows, what yeah. was 15? Right. Okay, so do you want me to explain these as we go? Yeah. Okay. Take so me one... through a wonderful stepping of through time of I one through five. I am never going to use a door again. <laughs> okay, so we'll... trapped in my room forever. <laughs> or the window. <laughs> so one was a scarecrow trap. You know, there's the monster, the scarecrow, and then there's like a literal scarecrow. Scarecrow, the monster, is actually really good for earlier D and D games because it's relatively low level. It's just a CR of one, but you can get a lot of them in one place, and they are indistinguishable from actual scarecrows if they are ah. they are not moving. Horrifying. It's just so scary, but it's like, monsters are scary. Here's one way that a monster can't be scary by being tricky. So a scarecrow monster can target a creature and frighten them, like have magical frightening on them, which is what some of the monsters were doing. Also, if it attacks you, then you have to do another saving throw and you could be frightened. So that's what happened to Tracy. The first time Tracy got frightened, but he shook it off. And then the second time he got attacked and then frightened, Oatcake was afraid of number 15. Yeah. Which, because it was the actual monster. Got, got it. So that's what uh, that was what happened with that role. Oatcake was walking over to 13. Blink dogs have higher perception when hearing looking for giggles, it was walking over to 13, and then it got frightened by 15, and, and Oatcake ran away. Gotcha. What a good girl. Yeah. Oatcake's good. Oatcake is your third-party member. Oh, yeah. Always. But speaking of which, I am glad that we ran into Greg, a sentence I never thought I would say. <laughs> no, we've had many much discussion on the podcast about our character versus party member feelings toward both Greg and Alonzo. But I don't know. It felt like our kind of reconciliation here was, was earned, and... I'm looking forward to kind of learning more about him should we get the chance to spend more time together, you know? 
You know what my favorite thing that I learned this game was? Mm. What? You two can't whistle. Yeah, no. can't whistle. Neither. Brandon was like, oh, Eric, can you just whistle real quick for just so I have it for the, the editing? And Eric was like, no. no I was I can, like, I cannot. No. So no, that was, the bad whistle was Brandon a whistle. There you go. Yeah. But uh, Eric, is it because of Zayl's time and space manipulation that he could go into like our memories and probably prehistory and like space, you know? Yes. So that is like a really fun fantasy and also just fiction trope that I really like. There's always like a big bad who has some sort of control over like time or reality. And of course, like you always go to like weird places. So Zayol went to places that he that he knew would bother you guys because I think he knows you pretty well. Going to the Bachelorette Tournament Stadium and then going to where you two met. Uh, I thought that was just like kind of fun and moving through uh, that stuff. And then for the T-Rex thing, I just like, yeah, fuck it. Let's go find a dinosaur. Guaranteed I thought we were going to race with these dinos. <laughs> I, this was supposed to be really quick. Believe me, <laughs> dino racing was on the table. Wait, but what were we supposed to do in the jail cell? Do you want to know? You really yeah, want to know? Yeah, I really do. Okay. That one is a classic D&D DM trick. Players are usually like afraid of their DMs and will kind of just like do whatever the trap tells them to do. Yeah. So you hit the button, the clock resets, right? You let it go down to 30 seconds. Door appears. Wow. 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 Greg was right. Greg always knows. It's weird. It's like Greg has a telepathic link to his DM. If you want to <laughs> believe in Greg and do whatever he says, that might be an interesting chance for Tracy. I don't know. We'll see, see what happens. I mean, we'll have some consequences for you pulling the door patch, but the fact is that you use the patch at all, I think, was just exciting for me. I, I don't know. I just feel like such a renewed sense of urgency. Like, our HP is so low. I don't know. I felt like often we would rely on um, Johnny's big bad spells to get out of a bind, and um, we don't have that now. And so I think Tracy acted a lot I don't want to say more rashly because you're always a little bit rash, but I think <laughs> both of us were more willing to stand up to our antagonist and more kind of strategic with the things that we used. Like we looked for opportunities to do things that we are good at, which is probably how players should play, but is not always the way that we approach challenges. Yeah, we don't usually play to our strengths. <laughs> no, the answer is no. <laughs> what was the spike game? If we had started walking forward, would we, we've had to, like, run across it. Was that even possible? You know the what I mean? The spike thing was basically you run across when you get to the halfway point. Then Zayol was going to hit the button. Whereas, like, you guys were dawdling so much at the front that you kind of got fed up. Would it have just been a math game at that point? No, the whole point was to get Greg to do what you wanted and then either break out of his the whole person that was on him or use the whistle to destroy the dial. I think yeah. that's really smart, though, because I don't know if we would have treated Greg like a serious partner if we hadn't been genuinely out of options. I was also like delighted when I realized that we were floating instead of the ceiling sinking toward us, which is how I assumed it would go. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh man, some Willy Wonka shit. Like, yeah, I love this. <laughs> yeah. Still dangerous though. If you had gotten crashed, you would have taken damage Ooh, over the course damage. of turns. Oh no. Because like you keep getting hit by spikes, so you take another 15 damage. And then the fifth chamber... I guess the risk there was the like psychological temptation to turn back and not hopefully free the speaker. Yeah. There's some stuff there, which we'll deal with next episode. I also did not expect you to let us hear what Zayl said to Greg. So far, our experience of Alonzo and Greg 
has been just what they say to us as characters. And then listeners get to hear private correspondence between them, which the characters haven't. But to be able to hear something private of Greg's, like treating him more like a, a party member, I don't know. It just seems like our relationship is entering a new level. And I like that the formal choices we made here sort of reflect that. We shouldn't keep ourselves from learning more about our characters just because the party is smaller. And I mean, as people move into your orbit, it becomes like that is the orbit in which the audience understands. There is going to be the people who surround you are then going to be more filled in. Like that's how stories go. All right. Well, TBD, I guess. Yeah. You'll see. You'll see. In the meantime, we got some audience questions. Well, let's ask a question directly to me. This one's from Paul. <laughs> Do you want me to read it for you? I'm no, the it's DM. <laughs> question for the DM that I hope hasn't been asked before. It hasn't. Thank you for asking this question, Paul. What is your process for coming up with cool homebrew magic items that you've given the players? I do a lot of research on the internet, just kind of calling information and ideas together. I really like having a tax on a powerful item, not necessarily a curse, but like a drawback. Something like the Undying Lantern was a really good example of that. It was really powerful, but there was, you know, a shadow lurking on the inside. Or something that's indecipherable, something like the cloak with the patches on it. The player should be a little afraid to use it. And then once it happens, it turns out it's fucking dope and then it becomes very valuable. I mean, this is why I have creative collaborators. I run a lot of this stuff by Connor. I've been able to use Misha. I've been able to use Jeff, both of whom uh, have been playing RPGs for a very long time. And I also steal from different game systems. Different game systems are really good at using like one-time items, things that are uh, that expire after one use, or things that work work with different game mechanics. A lot of stuff in Dungeons and Dragons are just weapons, but a lot of stuff that we do is not combat. So I want to make sure that you can use it in different scenarios or in different relationships or something to get you out of a squeeze without using fighting mechanics. I hope at some point I get to release the item table that I made for all of you uh, that it was originally used for Duvin boosters, but I've kind of used as like bigger item gets in between arcs. There's some really fun stuff in there. So I'd love to show them. Was the Sawbone from Sawbones or did you just like that name? Oh yeah. The Sawbone was inspired by Sawbones, the podcast from Justin and Sydney McElroy, yeah, the medical podcast. But I thought it was interesting that it's like, you can heal, but only if you get people to stay still, kind of like amputation in 18th century medicine, if you could call it medicine. So it's like, you need to trust the doctor and the doctor is about as suited to heal people as Tracy is. So I thought that, <laughs> that would be really fun. Rude. Got I, I need to find a bottle of ether at some point. This one is from Katie Schmady. I have a question for the after party. It's come to my mind during episode nine of the Bachelorette Party. For Eric, what's your process of making your players work with NPCs like Autumn, Alonzo, Greg, etc., and scenarios that they don't want to engage with? What are your thoughts as players when you come up with characters or situations that you're just done with? I think Eric makes NPCs so tantalizingly annoying or intriguing <laughs> that we can't help but work with them. Like, oh, here's doppelgangers. Good luck. <laughs> like, okay, of course we're going to go talk to our doppelgangers. Of course we're going to make friends with the ooze. Yeah, I think that there's always a rule when you make up a person. You need to make sure that they have a defining characteristic. It's fine if they're one or two-sided. I mean, 
more depth can come out between role play and I can add that. Uh, I think the best example of that for me was Ev. So it was like, I want to make sure that there's a city guard person that they interact with. So it's like, okay, who is this person? What are they good at? And I think dexterity was always a thing that Ev was good at. What is the defining feature of them? It's like, okay, well, they can't speak that well. Uh, they have a... a uh, <laughs> what's that so thing? What's that thing where you can't speak that well? And uh, I, I guess a speech impediment. I've never really recall dove issues. Yeah, yeah, recall issues. I have speech impediment. Something that I wanted to have going on in their brain that might make other characters, specifically you guys, underestimate them. Which is something that happened to Tracy a few times. And he he was always going to be the person to give you the most help, but he gets himself into situations because he can't communicate as well. So I love I, Ev. Yeah, My favorite. Me He's too. Great. And it's also helpful because your voice can only do so many things as you play 10 characters per episode. If I were creating NPCs for a podcast, I would start with the voice. Like, you need something to kind of build the rest around. But I can't do the voice until I know that person. It's true. Right? So I have to build out these characterizations first. Usually it's just a funny joke that makes me that makes me <laughs> laugh. So that might be Stoneface. That might be Chad. That might be P-O-R-O. Uh, they're just jokes that I know are going to make you guys mad, but are going to make me laugh. <laughs> and then I want to further those NPCs as they go on and I want to have them interact with your lives. It's the things in between, like the people who are important but are not big, big jokes. That's the hard part. I think when you're talking about situations that my players are done with, sometimes they ignore them and they just go do something else. But I think Eric does a really good job of balancing the thing that's right in front of us with other options that are real. Like it's never as if we like run off stage and then have to like be in character purgatory or plot purgatory while the other party members figure out something to do. Like there's always another path that feels really real. Like the video game map is playable in all directions. Like at the beginning of this arc, when I tried to convince Alonzo to come with me, I thought he would. And I thought that that's what was going to happen. And I was genuinely like upset as a character and disappointed as a player that that didn't happen. But I knew that that was the answer and that Eric would find a way to make Alonzo do something or put him where he had to be. And all I could do was go along with the rest of the party and follow the literal feather down the road to a new city. Get it? I'm, I'm talking about Bridge. And I feel like Inara has has a lot of patience for figuring out if a person will be useful to her and hanging out and just kind of keeping her cards close to her chest until she figures that out. So that's what I think makes it a really interesting mix is we are not afraid to have actual consequences or to actually leave something that it's clear the DM wants us to do if that's the right choice, which is unpredictable and a little bit scary sometimes, but also makes it a good story. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and for sending us your questions. We always need more questions. We want some. So let us know in the After Party question channel of our Discord, which is a thriving, lovely community filled with pictures of people's crafts and pets and food and their wins. Available only to our patrons. You can join at patreon.com slash join the party pod as little as one buck and scale all the way up to things like exclusive merch, like Eric's NPC backstories. Every episode I think to myself like, oh, which one's going to have the backstory? And it's really fun to think about as well as kind of hand picked curated packages for our top tier patrons that are done by us on a rotating basis. So Brandon, Eric or myself will pick these boxes and send them right to your door. It's going to be the dinosaur, isn't it? Maybe. You'll see. <laughs> I want to say that we have a P.O. box. We do. It is P.O. box 3241. 
Astoria, New York, 11103. And when you address the package, it must be addressed to multitude. So you can draw a little dice or write JTP somewhere else on the envelope or the package, but the address must be to multitude. We've gotten some really cool things, and I know we're going to talk about it more. Well, we just got a lot of cool stuff. We got a dice box with, like, little dragons inside from Izzy. We got a bunch of needle points from Murder Please, our favorite murderer on the Discord. I got a shadow cowl, and we got a really nice note. So we're just so thankful and grateful and seeing your actual handwriting in our little P.O. box, which, by the way, P.O. boxes don't have a back to them. It's, like, empty on the other sides that postal workers can put the letters in i had no idea i've never understood what the what a p.o box is i'll, sh- I'll show you ours. My yeah no so you open the little door and then you just see back into the back of the post office <laughs> and every time i open it it's like narnia uh and i just have to see what the package is and there's inside. just ghosts back there weird yeah it's very cool so that address is on jointhepartypod.com if you want to double check as well as a form to send us your questions for the after party or anything else your nice comments if you have a sponsor that you think should be on the show let us know And you can always, always ask us questions, shout us out, tweet your reactions to this after party and the episode at Join the Party Pod on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and Tumblr. Nice. That was good. (laughs) That was very affirming. Thank you. (laughs) Nice. Good job on all that housekeeping stuff. Thank you. It's a lot to keep in your brain at any given time. But our audience is great. We love doing the show. We need your support now more than ever. And we are very, very grateful for everybody who's listening. Bye, guys. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here.